Being an entrepreneur can be lonely. That's why I joined the Bra Network. That's the Business Relationships Alliance. Just like a good bra, the Bra Network lifts, gathers, and connects you to other like-minded entrepreneurial women with the knowledge that when we work together, we rise together. For me, the Bra Network provides the community, mentorship, collaboration, and empowerment I was looking for. From business, marketing, and finance courses to curated events to weekly Zoom meetups, the Bra Network works to advance women across the country. If you haven't joined, now's the time. Use your special code, WARRIOR, for your discount and join today at bra-network.com. That's bra-network.com. Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. You know, the environment we are raised in deeply affects how we come into adulthood. Traumatic events, relationships, PTSD can all be normalized over time. It can feel normal to us. It reminds me of that old joke where two fish are sitting at the bottom of the ocean and one fish swims by asking, how's the water, fellas? And one of the fish turns to the other and says, what's water? Sometimes we don't even realize the water we're swimming in. Today's guest has a story of pain and trauma that goes right to glory and triumph. She is the definition of a warrior woman and is using her painful past to not only break generational curses, but to help other women stay encouraged. You are going to love her and her incredible story. If you're feeling like giving up, if you're feeling alone and defeated, we are going to uplift you today. As always, I am so grateful you are listening today and would love to hear from you. DM me on our social media account at Warrior Women Pod or email me at Liz at LizSwadek.com. All right, let's get into it. But first, do you have money trauma? Are you blocking your ability to make money? We all have money trauma from the way we were raised, which brought financial scarcity into our adulthood. Is it safe to make a lot of money? Yes, it is. Come learn about money trauma and how to play with your money to create more ease, flow, and abundance. This is a great Healing Your Money Trauma Masterclass on September 27th at 4 p.m. PST. When you register, the Zoom link will be provided to you. Join me and guest Diana Greschuk, who's a trauma-informed financial literacy coach, as we dive into healing your money trauma. Link in the bio. Hello, everybody. Today on the show, Samara Dean. Samara overcame incredible odds, including teen pregnancy, incarceration, and homelessness, to starting her own apparel line called Stay Encouraged, 
an inspirational brand of clothing, as well as serving as the head of the prison ministry in her church and becoming an ordained chaplain. That's quite a turnaround. Oh my God. Her calling is now to show each person she works alongside how to rise up as warriors in Christ and how to live an undefeated life through practical biblical strategies. As a speaker for various events nationally and internationally, Samara is powerfully moving her generation to become champions for Christ in Jesus' names. Welcome to the podcast, Samara. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. I'm so honored that you would have me on your show. I don't take this lightly. I actually start off by always telling people thank you. And I consider this an assignment, you know, because my testimony is not about me, but it's tied directly to someone else's breakthrough. So I really appreciate you for allowing me to have this opportunity. You're a wonderful woman. I've looked at you and I've done my research seeing your videos. You're awesome, girl. You're on fire. Well, let me just say, you just gave me chills up and down my spine, not because of the wonderful compliments that you just gave me, which was very nice of you. So thank you. But what you just said, that what a way to start this podcast and set the tone for what we're going to talk about today. So this is a testimony. This is going to bring somebody through something. This is going to show somebody that is hurting or in pain or thinks they just need to give up today. Right. That's not going to happen. We're not letting it happen today. No, we're not on this show, Liz. We're not letting it happen. Once they see this video, it was divine and strategically set up for them to see it because giving up is not an option. A hundred percent. All right. Well, tell me about your life growing up on the streets of San Diego. You say you grew up in a culture of stress, violence, and gang warfare where it was normalized to be part of a gang, and that it cycled through generations and generations of people who were born into that way of living. So tell me about that. Yeah, well, when people think about San Diego, California, they always think of beaches, palm trees, perfect weather. I mean, that's the life. San Diego. The streets of San Diego, I was like, are there streets in San Diego? I thought it was all just palm trees. So I'm so glad you clarified that. Yeah, no, no, no. There's a dark side to San Diego. And that's Southeast San Diego, where I'm from, the inner city. And I grew up with a single mother. Unfortunately, when I was 10 years old, my dad died of esophageal cancer, leaving my mother to raise my brother and I by herself. And so because my dad passed away, my mother had to rebuild her life again. And so we ended up moving back to her dad's house, which was my grandfather's home. And he unfortunately lived in a high gang profile area. By the time I was 16 years old, my very close friend was murdered in cold blood. He was 15 years old. And that was the first time I experienced what it truly meant to live in a cycle of gang banging and drug dealing and gang warfare. My mother was not in a gang and I was not raised in that environment. However, when my mother was working two jobs, she left me at home with my brother by myself. And I just hung outside with friends, not knowing that those friends were in gangs. And so that's the way I grew up. It was really unfortunate, but it was really normalized to me. I wanted to be in a gang because I wanted camaraderie. I grew up as a child feeling rejected. And when you're in a gang, 
they don't reject you. They accept actually anyone. And so it had to do with a lot of wanting friendships, wanting camaraderie, wanting to be accepted. And when I was raised in church, I was not accepted. But when I went to the streets, I was accepted. Again, unfortunate, I was accepted by the wrong crowd. And I was accepted by gang members. It started off very innocent, friendly. We grew up together until we turned about 16. And like I said, I lost my first best friend. He was a male and he was murdered. Mm. Oh my God. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> oftentimes I ask women like, what was your childhood like? You know, and I forget sometimes that, you know, not everybody's childhood was a rosy experience. You know what I right. mean? A lot of right. people had some really, really hard, hard childhoods. And it sounds like you survived a lot. So I'm really glad that you're here to talk about this. You, When you said, you know, how normalized it was, I thought of that funny, there's like a cartoon where one fish is swimming by two other fish and he's like, how's the water today, guys? And he, you know, the other gut fish is like, ha ha ha. And then one fish turns to the other fish and says, what's water? Wow. Like you sometimes don't even know the water you're in. Right. It's just so normal. You're just in yes. the water and that's your friends. Those are, this is yeah. your neighborhood. Like the, that would make total sense. Like this, well, however your kids grow up, however our kids grow up, that's normal to them. You know, yeah. so we're older, really, sometimes that we're like, wait a minute, this that was really I can't even believe I lived through that. Yeah, very abnormal was not I, I until I became an adult. I didn't understand that I was actually traumatized at a very young age. Yeah. I mean, for me to be 16 years old, going to my first funeral for someone, a young friend of mine that was murdered, that was a traumatizing situation. I should have been in therapy for that. But after I turned 16. Yeah. After I turned 16, it would be it was every single year during the summer, I would lose a friend due to being murdered and being killed in cold blood. It became normal to me. By the time I was at least 21, just seeing people murdered and going to funerals was a part of my life. And it didn't seem it didn't seem different to me. For me, when I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, to not go to I haven't been to a funeral in years. I haven't been to a funeral in about nine years. And that was abnormal to me for a while. I couldn't believe that I haven't been to a funeral. I, you know, and, and there are times where I'm still expecting people. Like, you know, I'm expecting someone to die because, yeah, yeah, that's how I grew up. Yeah, yeah, and not to mention the trauma of losing your father. Yeah, I mean, you had a lot of a lot of trauma, and the trauma of being pregnant at a young age. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a lot of trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. Like people. You know, people think trauma is like, it has to be the biggest thing in the world, but sometimes it's also the slow build of things, right? Like those are big things, but they build on top of each other. Yes. And if you're not getting that healing and that therapy, and if nobody's talking to you about it and acting like, well, that's what it is, too bad for you. Then right. it's kind of like, my God, it, it, by the time you reach adulthood, you're like, I gotta, I gotta get myself together, right? So right. it makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then like you said, on top of that, being a teen mother, you know, and- also getting connected to the wrong caliber of men for a very long time. I had a cycle where I was really addicted to talking to gang members, men that are in gangs, and I would find my validation from them. And the only way that their validation, it was a lie. You would only be validated if you were at a certain status. And that would be if you were a prostitute, if you were selling drugs, and they would look at you as upper echelon. But if you were doing the right thing, maybe having a job, you would be considered something like a square. You were really living the wow. normal life. 
that would be someone, a man who I wanted to be accepted by at that time. He wouldn't want to talk to a woman like me or a young girl like me or a woman like me at that time. And so I was, I went through abuse from men, verbal abuse, physical abuse. I mean, and like we said, so it's trauma being stacked on top of trauma. And then here I am, 17 years old. I have a baby. I become pregnant. I don't have a good relationship with my mother. There's no father is in the home. My father is absent because he passed away. And I'm just really this 17-year-old girl. I feel all alone. So I ended up getting pregnant. And what went through my mind is I'm not going to have an abortion. I'm going to have this baby because I want someone to love me. And I know that this baby will love me. And so I made a childish decision right. um, that was going to You were a child. You right. A choice. <laughs> right. You were a child, having a child. Yes. Yeah. It made a decision that was going to affect me for the rest of my life, mm. you know, and not understanding that. And so if there are any mothers on here that are watching, I want to really, I'm big on this, just telling your daughters how much you love them. Just a simple, I love you and a hug means the world to a young girl, especially in this evil, wicked world that we live in. Absolutely. What was the turning point? So all these things had happened. We talked about that. It trauma on top of trauma. You left 18, you were 18. You left home with your baby. You were homeless. You would, then you were incarcerated for robbery. Yeah. I mean, you were just trying to survive, obviously. How did you make it through this, that, that time? And what was the turning point? Well, in the beginning, what I thought was making it was like you said, I was really just trying to survive. So I started shoplifting. And when I was shoplifting, I was making a lot of money. I was making at least $1,200 to $1,300 a day with shoplifting, bringing in sometimes $5,000 a week until, yeah, I ended up moving out. I was living in Coronado on the, by the beach. And I thought that I was doing the right thing at the time to take care of my daughter and I, because I didn't want to depend on the government. I didn't want to depend on welfare and food stamps. And so I did, again, what I thought was the right thing to do because of the crowd I was surrounded around. Well, the pivotal point was when I finally got arrested and I was looking at a minimum, maximum three to five year prison sentence. Mm. That's what slowed me down during that time because my daughter meant the world to me. And I knew, Liz, that if I were to become incarcerated and go to prison for three to five years, when I got out, I was going to see that generational that generational curse is what I call it, go on with my daughter because her family were gang members. Her family was in the streets and they lived that same identical life that I was living. And so when I got incarcerated, that's when I began to really develop my relationship with Jesus Christ. This Jesus that my mother had taught me about, but I didn't really want to hear anything about when I was growing up. But the Lord had to sit me down. He had to wake me up and open my eyes up to what was really in front of me and what was getting ready to happen if I were to get incarcerated. And I was not only going to affect myself, but I was really going to shift the trajectory of my daughter's life. Absolutely. You were going to, you were, it was going to stop with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so was there someone that talked to you? Was it the, cause sometimes people tell me on this podcast, like, oh, I had a moment of clarity because I finally got still and I was quiet enough that I heard something, right? Like I heard myself, I heard God, I heard something, you know, was it that, or was it somebody kind of speaking this over you? You know, my mother would come in 
and do visitations with me. And during this time, Liz, my daughter didn't even know I was incarcerated. I had told her that I went to Houston, Texas, and I didn't want my daughter at that age to know anything about me going to jail. She was a very intelligent five, six-year-old at that time. And so my mother was coming in. My mother is a woman of God and an evangelist, and she was coming in, encouraging me, praying with me. I was going to church. And so in those quiet times, God really began to talk to me. He really began to get me into a place of isolation so that he can begin to tear off all of those old ungodly mindsets that I had. You know, I really was, I was really damaged and I didn't understand how much I had been damaged throughout the years until I really sat down. And so I began to hear from God and I began to encounter him in a way that I had never encountered him before. It was beyond religion because that's what my mother was basically teaching me about was religion, going to church is really important. You have to pray all the time. You have to, you know, do this all the time. But when I was in that place of isolation, I developed a relationship where I was talking to the Lord. He was talking back to me. I began to read the scripture and it was like, as I was reading the scripture, the scriptures became alive right before me, Liz. And it was something transformational that I had never experienced before. Mind you, I was raised in church. I went to church every Sunday school in the choir, but it was something different about this encounter that I had. And it sounds like it reached right into your heart and soul to speak directly yes. <laughs> that, made you, that made you change. In 2017, you started your own apparel brand called Stay Encouraged, which I yes. just absolutely love that name. And I love how every time you send me an email, it's like, stay encouraged. I'm like, okay, yes. <laughs> it's a directive, Yes, uh, which is an inspirational line of cl- clothing to encourage people to never give up under any circumstances. So tell me how this, this baby, this clothing line was born. Yeah, you're right on track with me, Liz, because this is my baby. This is literally my baby. I birthed this brand because of everything that I went through from losing my dad, from the rejection that I went through with my mother and from the lifestyle that I lived up until the point where I ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any family. Once I was released out of incarceration, I made that conscious decision that I was going to break the generational curse off of my daughter. And I was going to offer her an opportunity to live a life and to know a life that she or I had never known before. Mm -hmm. And so when I picked up everything that I had from San Diego, mind you, before I back, let's go back some, when I got released out of incarceration, I was homeless. I was singing in the park for tips. My family had turned their back on me. There were times where I was sleeping in my car because friends wouldn't even allow me to sleep with, stay at their homes anymore. I began to start doing some studying and reading and the Lord showed me how to get my felony expunged. And so I went through the process of getting my felony expunged, no attorney, no money. I really just had the wisdom of God. And I remember going to the judge requesting and they granted my request for my felony. And then I had another misdemeanor burglary on my record. I did the same process 
and I got that expunged as well. And so because I was able to start over again, I felt that it was best. And God had been talking to me too, to move to Atlanta. I felt it was the best thing to do to move my daughter. And so I moved to a foreign land not knowing anyone, having just $8,000 in my pocket, literally, to move from San Diego to Atlanta, Georgia. And that $8,000 was gas, that was lodging, that was to pay my rent up, which is not a lot of money. No. And so <laughs> $8,000 was not a lot. No. And I thought it was in my mind. I'm like, this is so much money. <sighs> and so by the time I got here, I got my apartment. I got, I was able to just establish myself as a young woman with no one to try to intervene between my daughter and I and my parenting, because that's what people were doing in San Diego. And I literally had to stay encouraged. I remember I would be at work and I would tell people, stay encouraged. And people began to call me, Miss Stay Encouraged. I remember one day I was in my car and I heard the Lord say, I want you to start a brand called Stay Encouraged. And I'm just like, stay in That's a different name. I don't think that, you know, I'm hearing from God. Well, I still, me, I'm a person, a woman of faith. And like, I'm a, wo a warrior woman. Yes, and you are. I'm very ambitious. If something, I hear it, I go after it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I went after it. I got the brand. I got the LLC. I got it trademarked. It passed trademarking. And so I said, this is the brand. Th this is it. And it's really just to inspire people to never give up under any circumstance. Galatians 6 and 9 says, let us not grow weary in doing the right thing because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And so I just want to encourage people to never give up. And it's a constant reminder. There are times where I have on a wristband that says stay encouraged and I feel like just giving up. And I look at that constant reminder and I say, okay, I can do this. I can do this. You are truly incredible. You are a warrior woman for real. Oh, for glory to God. The definition in the dictionary next to warrior woman is your face. So a hundred percent. You say you serve as the head of the prison ministry in the church you attend, which is the World Harvest Church in Roswell. Yes. Um, you're also an ordained chaplain. I kind of want to hear more from you. It must be a an amazing experience after everything you've been to through to be on the other side, to be visiting women in prison, men in prison, and to see some of like yourself in them mm -hmm. and want to just reach out and be like, no, you know, like you got to let, you know, I wanted to know two things. I wanted to know what are the main reasons you feel like people become incarcerated. Is it okay. a story similar to yours? You know, meaning like it's just one thing leads to another. You're down, you're desperate, you're trying to survive. Then you start making money and you're like, well, I'm surviving. You know, is that, is it more like that? And also I want to know what would be surprised to know about some of the well, people? Well, in regards to women, most women that are, are incarcerated right now for nonviolent drug offenses, you know, and so it is, it's that survival. They're involved in either selling and distributing drugs or they become addicted to drugs. And so when you become addicted to drugs, you you create you start committing crimes. And then what happens is you become a part of that cycle because you haven't broken that addiction. And so you become a repeated offender. Two thirds out, two out of three people return to, in, return to prison within three years in the United States of America. And so that, that addiction has not been broken. And so women are not in card, not a lot are in there for violent crimes, but specifically those drug offenses. And it's unfortunate, but 
I'm excited that I have the opportunity to go into those prisons, go into the rehabilitation facilities and share my story. That's what draws people in when I'm able to share my testimony with them. I come dressed up with my makeup done. And then I'm like, I was a gang member. And that really opens up, you know, they're listening. At that point, I have their attention and they, and it gives them hope. And your second question, what would be something surprising that you would know or that you wouldn't know that you would like to know is that over 2 million women in the United States, in the United States of America are jailed right now within the U.S. out of that over 2 million number, that number, 80% of those women are mothers. And so that's a large, yeah, 80% are mothers. Really? Yeah. And 55,000 of those women are pregnant when they become incarcerated. Oh my God. Yeah. This makes me really think, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I've had people come on this podcast and talk about systemic racism, how the prisons just basically, you know, they just want people to work. So they like basically keep incarcerating black people like around the clock. Like this is, I've I've talked to a lot of people about this and I think it's hard to know what to do because to me, like healthcare, yeah, <laughs> a paid system. So anytime prisons are making money, if it's for profit, then they're going to want to profit off of somebody, right? Yes, they are. For me, it's like, how do you even, un- I don't even know how you unring that bell, but one, one way in my mind, which I'm, hello, I'm not an expert, but one way in my mind would be not to jail nonviolent criminals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it seems to me that these are the people that you would say, oh, you're just going to go to these classes or you're going right. to go to rehab or you're going to go, you know, you've, you've been selling drugs. Well, we're going to like, you know, we're going to give you job training or we're going to, you know, I don't know, something that actually is useful, you know, because if you have that much repeating, if so much recidivism, if right. it's kind of a, like a hamster wheel of they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. Well, what's it going to take, right. To undo the cycle I mean, what are your thoughts on that? What I mean, not that, again, we can't solve all the world's problems, but you're in there, so you know more than most. Right. Well, what would help is that, you know, that more churches would get involved right now. And in the state of Georgia, I, you know, what happened is after COVID-19, a lot of churches backed up on going into the prisons and they've given there and they've given the ministries over to prison to bigger ministries like prison fellowship ministries or kairos ministries or gideon and everyone's familiar with gideon ministries when you go into the hotel rooms they're the ones that have the bibles oh i didn't know no I i didn't know that okay yeah yeah and so instead of going in ourselves and discipling these young men and women and developing these relationships with them so that when they come out of incarceration, they have a family, they have a church family where they're being spiritually fed, not only feeding their, their mental health, but feeding their spiritual health, you know, because we, as we, as humanity are a triune being, we are a spirit. We have a soul, which is our mind, will, and our decision-making, our emotions, and we live in a body. But if we're neglecting the spirit aspect of things, and that's where the word of God comes into play, you can consistently try to break through to the mental, but we see right now that mental health is an issue in the United States of America. But the missing element is that if we're not giving people Jesus Christ, then people are going to consistently go through this cycle, Liz. And I see it firsthand. We can give people all of the medication. We can give people all of the therapy. We can give people 
coping. But coping, really, the word coping means to coexist. So you're teaching people how to coexist with anger and anxiety. You don't want to teach people how to coexist with something. You want to teach people how to get rid of anger, how to get rid of anxiety, because those are things the Bible tells us that we don't have to deal with that. He says, I've given you the power and the authority to trample, and you don't have to deal with that. I used to have anger issues. But because of Jesus Christ, I don't have those issues anymore. I used to deal with anxiety. I use, And I'm speaking firsthand. I dealt with suicide. I don't have to coexist with those type of thoughts anymore. Yeah. I know that those thoughts aren't mine. And so giving these men and women the spiritual help that they need and giving them the relationships that they need. Relationships are more valuable than currency. Relationships are more valuable than money, you know? And so that's what these men and these women are needing someone to do life with them. You know, Liz, what's so sad is that I remember, you know, the young man, Rayshard Brooks, you know, here in Atlanta, he was murdered by the police at the Wendy's. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. And so I remember watching a video of him after he had been murdered and Rayshard Brooks was crying out for help. He had stated in that video, I just wish I had someone to do life with me. It's so hard being a part of this system. I don't have a mentor. I wish the parole or probation officer, they will provide mentors or something because it's hard. When you have a felony, when you get a background, the United States of America makes it extremely hard to be reacclimated back into society. Even if I had a job, there are so many apartments that if they find out that you have a felony or a misdemeanor, they won't even accept your application. Even if you're making three months the rent, even if you have the solid job history and you're able to take care of yourself. A lot of people that are, especially women, once they get out of incarceration, they face a lot of disparities, such as homelessness, like myself, not being able to get employment and also food insecurities. Another thing is there is more programs for men regarding nonprofit organizations to help men get reacclimated back into society, but not for women. And so those are things that we're dealing with when we're talking about How can people help churches get involved? Sending letters of encouragement. My ministry, we send in letters of encouragement, encouraging these men and women, you know, just being that beacon of hope and that beacon of light that they need. Yeah. Well, let's make sure we put in the show notes. Maybe you and I can cook up some things that people, tangible things that people can do, Yeah. uh, whether it's letter writing or money to donate to a certain place that you think would be a good place to donate to that will help women, especially to transition. That would be really amazing. So we'll talk offline about that and I'll put that in the show notes. It's really interesting what you're saying because I'm a coach and a lot of the work I do is in groups. And the reason I do it in the groups is exactly what you're saying. I believe in the power of women in the group. It's not just my voice. You want to see the mirror of this other woman and this other one's mirroring back to you that how wonderful you are, how amazing you are, that you can keep going, that you should keep going, that your ideas are valid, that your trauma is real, that you are allowed to heal all the things, right? And one of the things I teach women is you're a spiritual being having a human experience. Yes. And right now, you're a little bit too much in your humanness. So you have to remember- Yes. You are a spiritual being. And when you know that, it gives me the chills. When you know that, right? You're right. It's a whole other level. But when you are been beat down and traumatized and you have not healed, it's very hard 
to explain to someone you're a spiritual being. It's like, oh, that yeah. sounds great, Liz. You know, I mean, come on, right? Like, so I think you're right. It's the relationship building, right? It's not that it's not one and done. You're not going to go in there and just convince everybody in the heartbeat. It's like as you, over time, when you're building these relationships with people, eventually Correct. you're going to trust and say, well, sh- first of all, if she did it, I can do it. Exactly. Second of all, maybe she's on to something here. Maybe this spiritual thing, maybe this God thing is really what I need, right? Like, cause it's the other things I tried really didn't work. Like all right. that stuff is not really working and I'm miserable and look where I am. Yeah. But it takes a while to get there. It's not just like a overnight. No, it's not. An, and I think that's what people have to understand in this process. And not only for those that are coming out of incarceration, but just anyone in life, understanding that this is a process mm-hmm. and you have to be able to enjoy that you are going through a process. It's, and, you know, and I was talking to a young woman the other day because I do mentoring for a young women and she was going through something in her life. And I just said, you know, this is a part of your process. Everything that I went through in my past led up to this very moment that I am in right now. It was a part of the process. I had to go through that yes. to get to the other side. Yes. You know, and I thought, and people don't want that. They want a microwavable life. They want to be able to just come out perfect. And that's not what life is about. And a lot of social media teaches that, you know, a lot right now, social media is teaching people that perfection is real and there's no such thing as a perfect person. People are chasing after something like a mirage. You're chasing after something that doesn't even exist. You have to go to the pro you have to go through the process to come out. And sometimes when you come a lot of times you're not even still perfect. We're thriving for perfection, but we will never be perfect. And I think so many times as women, we just want to be perfect. We want the perfect hair, the perfect nose, the perfect life, the perfect body. And that's not realistic. That's not realistic. But when you are able to say that my imperfections made me the woman that I am today, that's beauty in itself right there, Liz. Imperfections are what make you beautiful. Imperfect. Your imperfections are actually your superpower. It is what makes you strong as a woman. If I never would have been homeless, and if I never would have been in a gang, if I never would have been rejected by my mother, because a lot of women face rejection and they face those disparities between the mother and daughter relationship, I would never be able to relate to a wide variety of women, not just one woman, but so many women. And it's a blessing. I find it at at first, I didn't like it. I hated it. I didn't understand why me, but you know what? If not me, then who? If not now, then when? Right. Right. And you know, it's so amazing that you're saying that, like, you know, I always think the thing you're think the thing you think you are least qualified to talk about is the very thing that God has picked you to speak on. Yes. (laughs) Right. Back in the times when you were down and and you were having all these things happen to you and you were traumatized and all the things you've been through, you probably thought the last thing I'm going to do is become a person that's coming around and talking about this. And meanwhile, it's the exact thing, right, that you are the most qualified to do because you can help so many people because you've been where they are and you can tell them. And look look at you now. I mean, my God, if you're not a walking, talking testimony to what it's like when you've healed and transformed and when you've embraced your spiritual gifts and all the, you know, all the things you're a walking, talking testimony. 
And I think, and you know, when you say, I love how you honed on on spiritual gifts, because when we are being brought up in school, we're being brought up on how to hone in on our intellect. When really we need to be honing in on our spiritual giftings because your spiritual giftings are actually what you were sent to earth to operate in. And when you're operating in your spiritual gifts, you're operating in purpose. You have so many doctors and attorneys who don't even know their purpose in life because they're focused on a career path. But a career path doesn't mean purpose. That doesn't mean that's what you are called to do. I met a man one day and we were just, you know, casual talking and he was raised to be a doctor. His grandfather was a doctor, father was a doctor. And so he was going to school to be a doctor. Liz, in his very last year of school, he gave up everything because he wanted to be an entrepreneur and run a restaurant. Well, that's what he did. And he's running a restaurant successfully and he's walking in his purpose and he's walking in fulfillment, the fulfillment of life. And that's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you I know that you encourage people to be warriors for Christ. Tell me, yeah. what does that look like practically? Because I feel like there's, you know, sometimes if I say that, oh, you know, be a warrior for Christ. It's like, oh, what does that mean? Going to church? Like we talked about before. Like a lot of people are going to church and getting nothing out of it. Like right. put, putting the point on the scoreboard. Oh, I went to church. Right. Did that thing. Right. right. So I, I, what does that really look like practically encouraging people to be a, a warrior for Christ? Well, what it looks like, I would say, is really if a person is going through a very difficult, traumatizing situation, is really developing a relationship with Jesus Christ and standing on his words. I'd like to pick out for people the warrior scriptures that the Lord specifically speaks to. You know, when you're going, like, let's say, for an example, three years ago, I went through a very traumatizing experience. My daughter tried to commit suicide two times. And so, but I really could not focus on scriptures like God is love. You know, Jesus loves me. He'll never, (laughs) I I couldn't do that. I I I need something more. Yeah. I needed some heavy, I needed some heavy words. Like, you know, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, I had needed things like that. The Lord will never forsake me. Behold, I have given you the power and the authority to trample over the serpent and the young lion. Psalm 91 says that a thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And, you know, really focusing on warrior scriptures to be able to become a warrior. And so, and that's what I do when I'm talking to women, I'm giving them warrior methods and I'm taking them through a boot camp, the boot camp that I had to go through where we're talking about where you're praying around the clock, where, you know, where you're shutting out social media. That's what a warrior for Christ is. A warrior for Christ is a woman that is disciplined, a woman that is ambitious, a woman that is resilient, and she's not letting anything or anyone stop her. She's an unstoppable woman. And that's what it's about. You're focusing on the warrior aspect of Jesus Christ. God is love, but Jesus was also a warrior. And Jesus had to be a warrior if he was on that cross and was able to withstand those nails being put in his hand and to be able to withstand his feet being nailed to that cross. And so if Jesus went through it, we definitely can go through it. The word of God says we don't have a savior that is unable to empathize with us. He understands everything that we are going through. And so it's really, and it's really walking with doing life with women, walking them through 
being available for a woman, no matter if it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning, making myself available for them. I had a young woman who was dealing with suicide and being pregnant at the same time. I had her just open up the word. She had never even read the Bible before. And I had her read Psalm 91, which is a spiritual warfare scripture. As she began to read spirit, as she began to read Psalm 91, Liz, she said that it was doing something for her on the inside and she was becoming stronger and stronger. And she said she had never experienced anything like that before. People have to realize the power that is in the word of God. You can't leave it, like you said, up to the church, up to your pastor. You really have to develop that relationship. I have to develop the relationship with Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and he will rescue us. Yeah, that's amazing. Tell me, when you look back at your life thus far, what do you think has been, and I'm sure there's been so many, but what do you think has been your greatest lesson? My greatest lesson has been to never give up on myself. There was a time in my life where I did give up on myself. I mean, people here, you're a warrior. People tell me this all the time. And wow, like you're so awesome. You've overcome so much. But there was a time where I was in my bed and I couldn't get out of my bed. I called into work. I didn't want to go to work. I wanted to die. I wanted to just crawl in a cave. And I had given up on myself. And during that time that I had given up on myself, I lost a lot during that time I had given up. And so the lesson that I learned in my life was to never give up on yourself. You are all you have. When the doors are closed, when the calls are not going through, you are all that you have. And giving up on yourself, when you give up on yourself, you're giving up on everything that you've worked so hard to acquire up until that point. And that was the lesson that I learned. No matter where I'm at, never give up on Samira. Don't give up on Samira and keep on loving Samira. Don't stop loving yourself. No matter if you may not feel the prettiest on certain days or you may not have the degrees or you may not be the homeowner that you want to be, do not give up on yourself. That's amazing. Amazing and very true. All right. Well, guess what, Samira? We're now at the speed round, which I call party time. This is okay. You've earned it. Okay. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? Being a warrior woman is a woman that does not give up when faced with adversity, when faced with failure. She looks at it not as pain, but she looks at things as an experience. She looks at everything from a learning perspective. How can I learn from this situation? So a warrior woman doesn't mean that you're always strong either. A warrior woman is not always strong. My mother always told me, it's not about how many times you fall down, but how many times you rise up. So a warrior woman is a woman that always rises back up to the occasion, no matter if she cries. A warrior woman will cry her way through a certain situation. A warrior woman will not answer the phone at times. And I tell a lot of women, it's okay to not answer your phone. It's okay to say no. It's okay. She understands that it's okay. It's okay to feel upset. So many times people think that the term warrior, I'm just a strong woman and I'm not always this strong woman. And I am aware of myself and my emotions and who I am as a woman of God. So that's what warrior, a warrior woman is fierce. She understands that it's okay to cry, but she doesn't give up. I love it. 
what is a mantra or quote you live by? Well, Liz. I know you're going to give me scriptures, so just go ahead. <laughs> no. Remember, stay encouraged. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my it. mantra. Remember, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. I love it. I love it. What makes you feel unstoppable? What makes me feel unstoppable is that throughout the years, I've acquired a skill, and that's being able to develop the mental fortitude to be able to balance adversity and failure at the same time. I don't look at adversity and failure as a bad thing. I look at it as something that is just positive, and it's a skill. It, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that I've had to work my way up to this place that I'm in, but it's a skill. Let's say, for an example, if you lose a job, which I've lost several jobs, I don't look at losing a job as a bad thing anymore. I used to be afraid to lose a job and then the rent's due. You know, so you might be thinking losing a job, you're failing. Adversity would be where the rent is due and you don't have the money at that point. Well, I understand that there are only two reasons, Liz, why a person loses a job. Either that person doesn't want to be at that job anymore, because if you wanted to be there, you would be doing the work or God didn't want you at that job. Because if God wanted you there, you would be at that job. And so. That is what I consider myself to be is an unstoppable woman is because I have the ability to juggle both adversity and failure and look at it as if it's just, it is, it's a positive situation. It's win-win. I don't lose. Yeah. There's no failure really. If you learn from it or you, and also, you know what, it's so true. You've got to kind of keep your mind right on that, right? Because there's no point in wallowing and things like that, because what it does is you get into that worry cycle and then you can't get out. Right. Right. Because you go into that crazy hamster wheel, like dark rabbit hole of hell thinking, right. And then you can't help yourself. So it's almost better to say, oh, well, that must not have been for me. And I'm going to keep moving. What are you most proud of? I am most proud of my daughter. My daughter is, I'm so like, I tell her all the time, I'm godly proud of my daughter because I look at her and I look at a young woman. She's a young woman now. She'll always be my baby. But I look at a young woman who has overcome so much and I'm most proud of her. And, And she's taken my advice and she's looked at my life and created her own lane. And so I'm most proud of her because also I was a single mother. I didn't have anyone helping me to raise my daughter. I had a teenage daughter. I was working a job. There was a time where I was working two jobs. And so to look at her being successful, my daughter's actually in ministry school right now, and she's just living an amazing life. The generational curse has been broken off of my daughter. I was a teen parent. Both of her dad's parents were teen parents. My mother was a teen parent. He was a teen parent. And so to look at my daughter and to see that she has risen above and the generational curse has been broken off of her, that makes me extremely proud. Oh, gosh, yes. What keeps you going when you're feeling lost? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus keeps me going when I'm feeling lost. When I'm feeling that there is no hope, I remember Psalm 23, the word of God. And, you know, even again, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil for I am with you. And so when I'm feeling lost, I'm always reminded that Jesus is right here with me. I've developed this relationship with Jesus where I hear from the Lord. 
I hear from him. And sometimes even when I'm not hearing from him, I can feel this presence around me, letting me know that everything is going to be okay. That's amazing. What is exciting you the most right now? Well, right now, our church is in the middle of the prison ministry. We are in the middle. I've been mandated by God. God said, daughter, I want you to put a thousand Bibles in the hands of 1000 inmates. So right now we are in the process of a Bible drive and we are going to put a thousand Bibles in the hands of a thousand inmates. Yesterday we were doing the Bible count. We are up to 500 Bibles. I'm so excited. I'm pretty sure we have more Bibles. There's still some donations coming in and I'm really just excited about that. That really brings joy to me to know that we are going to be able to put these Bibles in the hands of these men and women who don't have a Bible and knowing that once they receive Bibles, it's not only going to change their lives, but it will change the lives of their families and to those that are connected to them. So it's, I'm excited about that. Oh my gosh. You are truly amazing. You are a transformative visionary. You are a warrior for Christ. You are a warrior woman, a warrior mother. You are really incredible. I am so glad you reached out to me and shared your story so Absolutely. the minute I saw it, I was like, and yes, you are coming on the show. So which does not happen all the time. So I just want you to know that. So thank you so much for sharing your story, for telling the truth, for showing people that they should stay encouraged, that they can bake, break a generational curse. Yes. And that not, there's nothing insurmountable that they are going through. So thank Absolutely. you so much for sharing that your story today. Thank you for allowing me to share my story with you and your viewers. I'm honored because I know not everyone allows people to come onto their platforms, you know? And so again, I just, I'm so honored to be able to just sit and chat with you, you know, during this time. It's exciting, Liz. And I could, you're just a fierce woman too. So from one fierce woman to another fierce woman, it's a pleasure to be able to sit down and speak with you and to, you know, hear your thoughts because there are a lot of things that you said that I had been thinking about, especially like the experience utilizing things like that and just the spiritual aspect of things. So it's always exciting to be able to talk to another woman who is like-minded, not only mentally, but spiritually as well. So it's just been an awesome time. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Samara. And thank you everyone for joining us today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.